And that reading is uh, from the end of the letter to Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 7 to 19. Hebrews 13, 7 to 19. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. And I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. This is the word of the Lord. I'm what's known as a fair weather golfer. Uh, that means uh, there's, on a day like today, there's nothing I'd rather do than uh, get my golf clubs out. But that doesn't really happen very often. I'm not particularly good, I'm not particularly bad. There'll usually be a few decent pars on my round where the ball flies straight off the tee. Uh, my short game just feels perfect. But, but then for every par, there'll normally be a more scenic route, let's say, where uh, it goes straight into the trees, into the heather, and then I, I lose the ball entirely. So my, my scorecard will normally read something like this. Uh, starting off fairly well. Four. Five. Not so good. Four again. I'm okay with this. Uh, six. Not great. Three. Very happy with that. Ten. <laughs> At that point, I wish I could go home. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> here's the point. As a fair-weather golfer, I I'm never really going to get any better than that. If I only play 
six times a year, only when it's sunny. Uh, my, my scorecard is always going to look like that combination of fours, fives, threes, and tens. But that's fine. It's only golf. However, are there any fair-weather worshippers here this evening? Are there any fair-weather worshippers here this evening? The fair-weather worshipper serves God when it's convenient. They see worship as a kind of pleasant luxury that can be added onto life when there's space, like a game of golf. But then, when life gets busy, just as I would leave the clubs in the shed, worship gets left to one side. But this is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not one of fair weather worship. This is not the life of someone who understands the gospel because people who understand the gospel are worshippers. Yes, life is hard. Life is full of relationship conflict. Life is full of troubles at work. Life is full of, of health crises and conflicts. But let's ask ourselves, does it really make sense to let life's problems get in the way of life's purpose? That would be crazy. This week, we're continuing to receive practical commands about how to worship God acceptably. And uh, as we, uh, that was as we read at the end of chapter 12. But now in verses 7 to 19, we have a particular focus on how to worship God in the harsh realities of life. How to worship God in the harsh realities of life. And uh, I've just got two points for us on this particularly sunny day. Uh, let's uh, pray for God's help as we continue. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that you would not only help us to listen this evening, but to take it in and to be transformed by your spirit's power. Amen. So, firstly, to worship God in the harsh realities of life, we must remember our leaders. And uh, here we're looking at the kind of bookends of the passage that was just read to us, verses 7 to 8 and verses 17 to 19. Let's start off with verses 7 to 8. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. These leaders were the, the first to bring the word of God to these Jewish Christians that read this letter first time round. And it's likely that these leaders have since died. I, I don't mean since as in now in 2021, but um, then in terms of when this letter was written, they, they had already died. I say that because that phrase, the outcome of their life, implies a kind of end point. Uh, so uh, start, there was a start and there was a finish. There's a sense of completion, implying that they finished their race. And also the mention of their faith it ties these church leaders together with the heroes of faith from chapter 11, those that had uh, run their way, race well but were then long gone. 
And also, given the kind of environment that these Christians were in at the time, it's very possible that these church leaders had been martyred. Now, these Christians are told to remember their leaders, but that means so much more than just attending their funeral or visiting their grave. Firstly, remembering them means considering, examining their way of life, their whole course of their lives from start to finish. Apparently, these Christians here, they'd been blessed with really good leaders. They not only spoke God's word, but they lived it. Now, who are, these, uh, who are the people in your life like this? Who are the people, the leaders who invested in you when you were early on in the faith? Remember, not only the words they said, but the life they lived. And second, the way to remember these leaders is to imitate their faith. Now, obviously, um, idolizing church leaders is never wise, but As long as we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus first and foremost, having kind of secondary heroes that we look up to is a very good thing that we must do. So what did you appreciate about the faith of uh, leaders long gone? Uh, Did they face suffering with joy? Do the same. Did they do battle in prayer? Do the same. Did they welcome you and others into their home? Do the same. I was talking to a friend that I grew up with not so long ago, and um, he was kind of uh, mourning the fact that while um, we'd grown up with these great mentor figures that had encouraged us and spoke God's word to us, um, in his current church, he doesn't really have anyone like that. And I was feeling particularly brave at the time, and so I said to him, well, that's kind of your job now. You have to be that mentor figure. You have to be that leader that speaks God's word to people. Do you have those people in your past? Imitate their faith. Consider their life and imitate their faith. Now, remember, consider and imitate them. Why? Verse 8 gives the reason. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's beautiful, isn't it? The harsh reality of this life is that Christian leaders that we love, they move on. They die. But Jesus Christ is still the same. Jesus Christ is still the same. We might put some of those same saints on a pedestal thinking that we could never attain to their elevated level of Christianity. But but Jesus Christ is still the same. The same Jesus that empowered mightily their transformation, is at work in us. And we might think that we could never keep going like those same leaders did. But Jesus Christ will be the same forever. And he will enable you to go on and on and on in the Christian life. How did those great Christians that we look up to do it? It wasn't the strength of their faith. Their secret was the strength of the one they put their faith in. And he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Remember your leaders. Now let's continue to think about our leaders, but this time in verses 17 to 19. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. 
because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Here we're not thinking about past leaders, but current ones. But note this. This is, this is actually really important to note. We do not have to have confidence in all church leaders. We do not have to submit to all church leaders. Um, you see, the writer of Hebrews has first-hand knowledge of the churches that he's writing to. He knows that these churches have good leaders who are protecting them, watching over the flock, and who are accountable for their ministry. Now, sadly, over the past year in the UK, we've heard tragic stories of church leaders who spiritually and sexually abused people in their flocks. These people should not be defended. These people should not be honoured. These people should not be remembered. These people don't fall into this bracket at all. They are not shepherds watching over the flock. They are wolves. They are not holding themselves accountable to God. They are building up power for themselves without any accountability. Such people should not be trusted, and we should not let such people manipulate us. Uh, however, to the extent that, that we, as leaders in Christchurch, are accountable shepherds, to that extent, you should have confidence in your leaders. We take our responsibility to watch over you very seriously. So um, every staff meeting, every week, every Wednesday, um, the first thing we do is look at the Bible, but the second thing we do is talk about people. Are there people that we can be praying for at the moment? Are there people that need supporting at the moment? We, we want to look out for you. And we do seek to minister as those who must give account. Um, that means any authority that we do have is only borrowed authority. It's only borrowed for a short time. It is not ours by right. It belongs to the one who, who rules in love, in humility, in sacrifice. And so we try to take our lead from him. And so, to the extent that church leaders act that way, Christians should submit to the authority of church leaders so that, as we see in verse 18, um, their ministry is a joy, not a burden. And again in verse 18, believers should pray for their church leaders. Now, uh, it's already been mentioned a couple of times, but it's worth stating again. The oversight team are meeting tomorrow uh, to confirm what church is going to look like next week. And uh, we know this, the responsibility for mitigating the risks of COVID, it's no longer a government thing, it's an organisation thing, it's an individual thing. So here are two commands for all of us from God about this. Firstly, leaders. 
leaders, watch over the flock as those who must give an account to God. Our authority is not our own. So let's make a decision prayerfully and humbly, a decision that we would be happy explaining to God himself. And church, um, the harsh reality of life is that leading is hard. Please help ease our burden by praying for us and submitting to the decision. The reality is we're not all going to agree about what church should look like next week. Half of us, um, we're going to want no regulations, and the other half are going to think that would be crazy. Submitting doesn't mean silence, but arguments, gossip, and protests just really wouldn't be helpful in maintaining the unity of the church here. The harsh reality of life is that church is always going to need protecting from from something or someone. We worship God by remembering and submitting to good church leaders. Secondly, to worship God in the harsh realities of life, be an outsider. Uh, Immediately, this doesn't sound particularly fun. Um, Being an outsider, whether it's at a work party or in a social group, it's normally seen as a problem to be overcome rather than something to be embraced. But in some senses, these verses here seem to be telling us that, no, being an outsider is something that we're supposed to do. The main idea of um, the remaining verses uh, from verse 9 through to verse 16 is found in the middle paragraph. And this is such a great comfort and challenge to those of us going through hard times. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. All right, in the Old Testament, outside the camp, That's the place for unclean things and unclean people. To be sent outside the camp meant that you weren't welcome in God's presence to worship. Uh, So that's what happened to the animals that were sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. Their blood was carried into uh, the most holy place, but their bodies were, were carried outside and disposed of, burnt outside the camp. And And here we find such a beautiful and poignant parable of salvation. Because just like those sacrifices, Jesus suffered outside the city gates. He was marched out of Jerusalem to the place of the skull. And there he died like a discarded animal carcass. He died like a discarded animal carcass. Unwanted, unclean not welcome in the presence of God. It's a a shudder-inducing picture of judgment. It's, It's like Satan cast out of heaven. It's like Adam and Eve cast out of the garden. It's like Old Testament Israel cast out of the promised land. It's like unbelievers cast out of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus faced, rejected, disposed of. Dying like a discarded animal carcass. That's the rejection that Jesus faced. But verse 12 
also gloriously explains why. To make the people holy through his blood. The holy one became unclean so the unclean could become holy. He was cast out so that we could be welcomed in. Our rejection of God, we've all rejected God. Our rejection of God means that we don't belong in his presence. We belong out there. But by calling Jesus, Savior and Lord, we are welcomed in. We are welcomed in. Sometimes we feel too dirty. Sometimes we feel too dirty, like we just wouldn't belong. Sometimes we, we feel like God couldn't possibly accept us, like God wouldn't ever allow us to traipse our dirty footprints through the carpets of heaven. We resign ourselves to a life outside, but Jesus' blood makes us clean. It makes us holy. Whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, you are clean. You are clean. All that dirt is gone. You are spotless, righteous, holy in Christ. That's glorious, isn't it? Verses 13 to 14 show our response to this salvation. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking to the city that is to come. There's something profound that we need to get our heads around here. Remember what I said, in the Old Testament, God's presence is in the camp. So the holy stuff, the holy people are welcomed in, whereas the unholy, unclean things are cast out. But now, Jesus is outside the camp. Jesus is God's presence. And and if, if God's presence is out here, then where do the holy things go now? The holy things come out. The unclean things are in. So what will we choose? Are you in or are you out? Um, Naturally, by nature, we want to be in. Just like the Jewish Christians who first read this, we, we feel the pull towards the establishment, the security, the acceptance, the familiarity that comes with that. We like to feel at home in this world. We like to let our roots go down deep so we get comfortable. Um, Yes, we want to follow Jesus, but we also want to be accepted. We also want to be embraced by those around us, including our non-Christian friends, family, and relatives. But But being accepted by the world is nothing like being accepted by God. For a start, true acceptance is only found in one place. The world might accept you if you're beautiful, talented, useful. But even if you meet those criteria, it will only be temporary It won't endure. All the world has to offer 
is conditional acceptance to a temporary attraction. But God accepts you as you are, warts and all. And his welcome is into an enduring city that is to come. Yes, um, wealth, opportunities and thrills were available in a city like Jerusalem and are available in a city like London, but they will fail and they will be far exceeded by the wealth, blessings, opportunities, joys of the eternal city. So, because Jesus became an outsider, go to him. Because there is an eternal city that we are waiting for, forget about acceptance in the temporary city now. Go to Jesus. Let's join him as outsiders in this world. It's so tempting to try and fit into mainstream society. It's tempting to live and speak in such a way that never causes an offence to anybody. But was that Jesus' way? Of course not. In every setting, to a greater or lesser extent, being a Christian means disgrace. But it also means being with Jesus. It also means being with Jesus. And let that be a comfort to you. Let that be a comfort to you if, if you feel marginalized in a society like ours. You're with Jesus. He knows how that feels. Let that be a comfort to you if your friends kind of poke you one too many times about being a Christian. Jesus knows how that feels. Let that be a comfort to you if you feel like you're missing out on what this world has to offer. You are with Jesus And that is far, far better. Don't be a fair weather worshipper. The harsh realities of this life mean our problems will always threaten to get in the way. Rather, and here's the picture I want us to go away with, let's worship outside the walls. Let's worship outside the walls. So in verses 9 to 10, the Jewish believers are told not to get carried away by these strange teachings that were saying, oh, um, you have to find strength by going to, I don't know if you remember this, but the, uh, the altar in the, in the temple, find some of the bread or something like it, eating that, that will strengthen you. No, no. We may be outside the walls, far away from the altar, but we have an altar that gives far more strength than any ceremony possibly could. Outside the walls, we can worship by coming to the throne of grace. Do you find yourself fearing what this week's going to be like? Fearing what your day is going to be like tomorrow? Start your day by coming to that altar of grace and finding strength that only God can give you. We worship outside the walls. Uh, And then verse 14 to 16 as well. uh, Those believers are, again, they they can't offer sacrifices in the temple anymore. They don't need to. 
What are the sacrifices that God wants in those verses? Sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of good works. The day that starts with prayer should end in praise as God gives us the strength that we need to go through each day. And we're all struggling, but don't let your struggles distract you from the struggles of others. If we're all struggling, let's worship outside the walls by struggling shoulder to shoulder, alongside one another, sharing with those in need, helping where we can and bearing one another's burdens. What does it look like to worship God in the harsh realities of life? Remember our leaders and be an outsider. Let's all pray that God would teach us how to worship outside the walls. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we thank you so much that Jesus was rejected, cast out an outsider so that we might find a welcome, not in this world, but in the world to come. Father, we, we confess that we feel the pull towards this world so keenly. Please help us to see superior joys in Jesus and to go to him this week. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.